0: Well, it is good to be with you this evening. <clears throat> I don't think I've been here since you've had your new carpet and decor. When did you get that? Is that? Recently. Recently. Thank you, Archie, for that accurate approximation. And it's quite relevant, I suppose, we'll be speaking about the decor and the uh, internals of the tabernacle a bit tonight as well. And uh, we're looking at Exodus 39, new lecturing and everything. As well. So it's good. Inveruri could have done your old one. I don't know if you still got it, no? Is it? Oh well, maybe. Well, maybe you put a bid in for that if it appears on eBay. So in Exodus 39. Now we're looking at Exodus. And Exodus is made up of two Greek words, ex and hodos. And it means the way out. Hodos means the way and X means out, of course. And we see wonderful pictures of how the people came out of bondage and out of the the regime of the Pharaoh in which they were slaves. And of course, that picture is always coming out of the world and out of the, the bondage of Satan. It might have been good of another title over this book, and that would be Exodus. And ace means to or into. Because in this book, we also find the way to God or into the presence of God. So you could have those two titles. That's a little bit of Greek for you as well. Exodus and Exodus, which means the way in. And when we come to the tabernacle and consider it, it's the way to God, the approach to God. And I have to thank you for giving me this passage because in addition to having something to say in Exodus 39, I've come up with a, a, a gospel message for our family service in Veruria actually as well. So I've got that benefit as well. There's so much typology and pictures, vivid illustrations in this book and in the tabernacle. That shows God illustrating, leaving the world, leaving the bondage of Satan and coming into his presence and ultimately to heaven. And of course, it's all through the person of Jesus Christ, who is pictured in so many of these things in the tabernacle. Now, you may be thinking, a lot of the things in 39, if you've bothered to read it, have already been covered in Exodus, and I don't want to cover ground that's already been covered, you'll be glad to hear. And my wife has also told me that we've got to be home early tonight, so that's a bonus for you all that she's on the case there as well. But what I want to do is pick out some lessons, because Exodus 39, of course, about the ephod and the garments of the priests is mentioned in Exodus 28, and I'll presume that you've done that. And learn some wonderful lessons. I will cover one or two things. But I want to see how this applies to us. Because as Christians we've come out of the world. The way out through Jesus Christ. And we've come into the presence of God. Into his family the way in. And and how the the whole thing is set up. The tabernacle was set up. And what was done here is a great illustration and, and, and picture for us. Because we will see... Everybody in the community of Israel was involved. And every one of us in the church of God is involved in his work as well. And we can draw these parallels and apply them to our lives and our situation. I think it's beneficial to read the whole passage. It's a lengthy reading, but I think it's good. And it'll give us this picture. The first 30 verses are about the priestly garments, I may miss out some of the bits about the tabernacle because I have less to to say about that and I think you'll have covered that. But the priestly garments, first of all, 30 verses on the high priest's garments. And then the the remainder, the smaller section, on the tabernacle. And In in Exodus 28, the command is given to do them to make them, and, and, and all these things for the priest and, and, of course, for the tabernacle. In Exodus 39, it's a record that it was done. So we have the command in 28, and we have the response uh, of the people to the command, and they did it. It was done just as the Lord commanded. And I think that's important. That's what a great lesson for us. The plan is given in twenty eight. The, the work is examined in Exodus 39 by Moses. It's completed just exactly as God has commanded. And we'll see that comes up many times. No shortcuts, no altering of the plan, no t- thinking of a better way to do things. It was what God had commanded and that's what they did. And there's a great lesson for us. We need to follow God's plan exactly. So we must know our Bibles. We must obey our Bibles. And just as the work of the tabernacle was examined by moses that's a key verse right at the end actually so our work will be examined one day the job is finished in chapter 39 and everybody had a role to play and i think that's a great lesson for us it says in exodus 25 each israelite was asked to contribute the list in exodus 25 1 to 7 had a wide variety of things, some more expensive than others, but all vital. We can't all do the same thing. We can't all give as much or do as much as others, but everyone gave something. And we need to make sure that we are giving something. It's like the wedding list you get on, on John Lewis or Amazon or whatever your wedding list is. And you know, there's some things in the wedding list less expensive than others. That's the one I'm looking at and, and my wife's looking at the ones that are more expensive. And, and we've got The opportunity, everyone, to give something according to our means. And not everybody can afford expensive gifts, but everybody can give something. And that's one of the great lessons that we have in this passage. It also said that God equips us for the work to do. You know, some of us may think, well, there's not a lot I can do in the meeting. You know, in a prayer meeting, somebody was praying for a young lad that's trying to share the gospel with people in his dire situation. It says in Exodus 36, Now Bezalel and Aholia and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform in accordance with all that the Lord has Commanded. That sums up this great point I'm trying to get across. One, God gives you the skill to do the job. He's given you a gift, charisma, gift of the Spirit. And he has given us, each one of us, something to do. He's equipped us for the job. He equipped these two men to do this job. And he says you do it in accordance with what the Lord has commanded. So the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you is used to obey the scriptures as commanded by the Lord. So let's read this chapter together. As I say, I might uh, miss out some of the the section on the, the tabernacle if my voice is getting dry. Moreover, from the... "...blue and purple and scarlet material, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place, as well as the holy garments which were for Aaron, just as the Lord had commanded Moses." Count how many times that is said, by the way. "...he made the ephod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen." Then they hammered out gold sheets and cut them into threads to be woven in with the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the fine linen, the work of a skilful workman. They made attaching shoulder pieces for the ephod. It was attached at its two upper ends. The skilfully woven band which was on it was like its workmanship of the same material of gold and of blue and of purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones set in fine gold, I beg your pardon, in gold filigree settings. They were engraved like the engravings of a signet or a seal, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he placed them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the breastplate, the work of a skilful workman, like the workmanship of the ephod, of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It was square. They made the breastplate folded double, a span long and a span wide when folded double. And they mounted four rows of stones on it. The first row was a a row of ruby, topaz and emerald. The second row's... A turquoise, a sapphire and a diamond. In the third row, jacinth and agate and amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx and a jasper. They were set in gold filigree settings when they were mounted. The stones were corresponding to the names of the sons of Israel. They were twelve corresponding to their names, engraved with the engravings of a signet, each with its name for the twelve tribes." They made on the breastplate chains of cords of twisted cordage work in pure gold. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then they put the two gold cords in the two rings at the ends of the breastplate. They put the other two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings and they put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. They made two gold rings and placed them on the two ends of the breast piece, on its inner edge, which was next to the ephod. You got that clear? Now, you could make that, couldn't you? It's all clear, and I got confused myself, so don't worry. Furthermore, they made the two gold rings and placed them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, on the front of it, close to the place where it is joined, above the woven band of the ephod, They bound the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord so that it would be on the woven band of the ephod and that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue, and the opening of the robe was at the top in its centre as the opening of a coat of mail. And abiding all around its opening so that it would not be torn. They made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material and twisted linen on the hem of the robe. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around on the hem of the robe. Alternating a bell and a pomegranate all around the hem of the robe for the service. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the tunics of fine, finely woven linen for Aaron and his sons, and the turban of fine linen, and the decorated caps of fine linen, and the linen breeches of fine twisted linen, and the sash of fine twisted linen, and blue and purple and scarlet material, the work of the weaver, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold, and inscribed it like the engravings of a signet, holy, To the Lord. They fastened a blue cord to it to fasten it to the turban above, just as the Lord had commanded. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed, and the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did it. They brought the tabernacle to Moses. The tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its board, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, and all the the things that's described there, the brazen altars in verse 39, all the way down, the lever, and all these things they bring to Moses. And in verse 42, we'll jump down to that now. So the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. This they had done. So Moses blessed them. And the Lord will add a, a, a blessing to the reading of this passage. Now, it's very detailed, isn't it? And, and I try to figure out if I could make this ephod, and I got a bit lost in all of it. But what we find here is detail that has significance and meaning, I believe. And perhaps we won't understand it all, but there are some lessons that we can, that we can apply to our lives. And if everything has a meaning and a significance, we want to see what God wants to say to us through these things. Why is there 30 verses on the garments of the the high priest in a relatively small section, which I even missed out some of, I just summarized at the end, on the whole tabernacle. I mean, the garments for the priest was a comparatively small thing compared to the intricate design and making of the tabernacle. Well, I take it that the the ephod and uh, the, the garments of the priests picture the person of Christ, the ephod in particular, and I'll explain why I believe that. So the priest and his garments represent the person of Christ. The tabernacle, if you will, pictures the aspects of his character and his work. And we see that in the furniture of the tabernacle. So we see in the ephod the person of Christ. And it illustrates something of his person and his glory. It says in Exodus 28, the ephod was a thing of beauty and glory. A beautiful thing to behold, a wonderful piece of workmanship. And they had the most skillful of people working on these things, and they did it right. I, I go off and a walk with my brother, and we speak about the different things, and we were speaking about how um, when you're doing a job, you should do it right. And, and and Dave, when he's doing a job, will say, ah, nobody will see it. Nobody will see it. And I says, ah, but remember, was it not Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci when he was doing some of the work, he he made the angels' heads as beautiful as their faces. And and, and somebody says, why did you do that? Nobody's going to see it. He says, ah, but God will see it. God will see it. And, And when they're working in the tabernacle and in these priestly garments, this was the best they could possibly do. There's no shortcuts. Now surely there's a lesson for us here. We do the work of God. When we're doing something for God, it's our best. We don't have shortcuts on it. And that's what they did with this ephod. And if it pictures Christ, I want to explain why. You see, in John 1 and 15, the, the, the apostle John could say, and we beheld his glory. A thing of beauty. They looked on Christ as, a, as something that was wonderful and glorious. And that's what the ephod was. It was to stir up that kind of emotion within. And we see in the ephod a picture of Christ and and this mixture of his humanity, that he was all man and he was all God. Clothed in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. And we see these these materials. And you you saw the color and were repeated often, weren't they? The blue, the purple, and the scarlet. And intertwined, and I'm going to suggest that's part of his humanity, those materials. Uh, and they picture part of the aspects of Christ. I'll tell you what I believe they do. The blue speaks of the heavenly nature of the man from heaven. The purple speaks of the, the regal nature. When they took him to crucify him, what did they dress him in? A purple robe. And then they mocked him as king. And the scarlet, of course, speaks of his blood that was shed. For us. So we see these aspects of Christ and the, these colors, the, the, the blue, the purple and the scarlet, but interweaved amongst these materials. Did you see what they, they did? They took gold. Now, when I was a student, we worked with gold a lot. And, and, and gold is a, a wonderful material. you can make it very, very thin. You can get it so thin you can almost get it down to one atom thick. That's how thin they all go and it's still got a degree of strength even at that. And if you take pure gold, if you make a gold crown in someone's mouth, you can actually what we call burnish it, where well, you take a round instrument and you can push it into wonderful shapes and it can go very thin and still maintain its integrity. And, and in this ephod, they made this linen garment, this material of, of, for the priest and of these different colours, and woven in between is the gold. And they took this material and they hammered it very, very thin. Then they cut it into thin strips. Can you imagine doing that? Thin, thin strips. And they took these little fine strips and they weaved them in between. must have taken a long time. Great concentration and, and great artwork in all of this. And of course, the gold represents deity. And what we see in this is the linen of humanity and the gold of deity. And what do we see in Jesus Christ? The Word? Became flesh. God became flesh. What a wonderful picture we have here. And this garment signified the very person of Christ, this dual nature that he had, God and man in one person. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Seven times we hear of these colors blue, purple, and scarlet. Seven times we hear of the fine linen. That may be significant as well, of course. Now, they used this blue, purple, and red in the gate of the court as you came into the the grounds of the tabernacle. They used it in the tabernacle curtains that surrounded the, the the, the, the tent of the tabernacle. They used it in the screen of the doorway as you went into the tabernacle itself, and they used it in the veil. And all of them speak of Christ because it's only through Christ that we can have access to God. And so, although the Jews possibly didn't understand any of this, we can look back and we can see this wonderful picture that God has given us, this wonderful illustration that God has given us. Blue of heaven or eternity, the eternal God. Purple, this king, this one who was the ruler of all. King of the Jews, king of the world, came into this world. And the red, speaking of the blood that he shed for us, his sacrifice for sin. It also speaks of fine linen. And fine linen always speaks of sinlessness. And Christ always was sinless. And one day the church will be you know this is used of the church in revelation 19 and 8 it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen bright and clean for the fine linen is a righteous acts of the saints one day we will have that same character as Jesus Christ. We will be without sin. Nothing that defileth will ever enter in. And we will be like Christ. We will have that fine linen. And what is pictured here in the fine linen of Jesus Christ and the sinlessness that he always had, one day we will have. Now we don't have that just now, do we? You think of the Feast of Pentecost, another uh, typical um, picture for us to understand. There was leaven in the two loaves. Picturing the sin that is still in the church, made up of Jew and Gentile, two loaves, Jew and Gentile, and there was leaven in them. The only wave offering that had leaven, the only feast that had leaven in it at all. Why is that? Because it pictured the church, not Christ. That leaven will be done away with one day. We struggle with that, don't we? The sin in our lives, and and we have to deal with sin. It says in verse 4, there were two pieces attached front and back. And that again may picture his dual nature of Christ, fully God and fully human. It says in verse 5 that things, and you, you have read this several times, skillfully, this word skillfully. This is, the, the, word, the root word of this means to do something thoughtfully. The item, the job was carefully thought through. It was carefully planned. Much consideration had been put into the fabrication of these garments. How were they, how were they going to do it? And, and, and God had equipped these men to do it, obviously, but he still uses them. He gives them the blueprint, and they follow the blueprint. Print. What a wonderful picture for us. We've got the blueprint. We need to follow it. And we strive to do that. And sometimes it's not clear. I understand that. And sometimes we make mistakes in that. But as best we can, we go by the word of God. We do something because the word of God says something. We don't do something because the word of God says don't do that. And and we can apply the same careful planning and execution for the work that we do for the Lord. You know, when I'm faced with a a spiritual dilemma or any decision of any kind, I, I always like to take time. To think about it. I think about it through. I will never, sometimes, if, if you send me a text and I don't reply, don't worry. It's not me being rude. I'm thinking about my reply, especially if it's of significance. And I've had a few of those recently. And, and I don't like to reply right away. I like to sleep on something, to think about it. What am I going to say? And that's the word here, the skillful job that's being done. So you're doing something for the Lord, whatever it is. You do it with thought and careful planning. Then he comes to these onyx stones. And on these stones are names of the the names of the the, the tribes of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel. And it says it's a a signet to them, it's a, a seal. And engraved on there, just like a, a signet ring that has a signature kind of engraved on it. So these stones, on them were the, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would have been somewhere here, I suppose. And, and they were put into gold, set into gold. And my younger son said, you know what that means? I says, said, ah, well, you tell me. And uh, he says that's because the the strength of the high priest to carry the people. And he says the 12 stones are on the breastplate because that's close to his heart. So we've got the affection of Christ for the people. And he says they have got the strength to carry the people. And I think that's a nice picture, isn't it? That's what God has for us. He has an affection for us. And we'll look at the breastplate close to God's heart and on his shoulders because there he can carry because he has the strength to do it. So that brings us on to the, the breastplate, verses 8 to 21. And this is a remarkable, it's of a skillful workman again. The breastplate was close to the heart of the high priest and he had this breastplate on his chest, close to his heart, the place of affection. He had the ephod over his shoulders, this place of strength. And then it says something very interesting in verse 21. And don't worry if I jump back up and down in verses here. And it gives this elaborate detail. And part of the, where you get a bit confused is where all these rings go and, and who's, what's attached to what in each part of the ephod to the breastplate, but in summary, basically what they did, they had rings on the breastplate, they had rings on the ephod, and they joined those with cords and with gold chains, and it says there in verse 21, they bound the breastplate by its rings to the rings of the ephod by a blue cord, so that it would be on the woven band of the ephod, that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod. And, and if the ephod speaks of Christ and the breastplate speaks of Israel and the tribes of Israel, what he's saying here is there is this closeness that can never come apart. They will not come loose. This is security. This is permanence of relationship between Christ and Israel. Israel will not be forgotten. I think that's important understand and what's happening even in today's generation is significant Israel is hated the people of Israel are hated across the world but God has a special place Jesus Christ is that high priest and he has the breastplate of Israel and he will have that permanent relationship there and I think that's important God still has a plan for Israel Israel is not forgotten Isaiah 49 and 15 to 16 says this can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb surely they may forget yet I will not forget you see I have inscribed you listen to this On the palms of my hands, your walls are continually before me. If they're inscribed in the palms of his hands, they can't be removed from that. The nation Israel, the people of Israel, are inscribed on the palms of his hands. And perhaps that even refers to the marks of the atonement that Jesus made on Calvary. Zechariah 13 says this, It will come about in, the, in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. A future day, I believe, referring to the tribulation. And there will be a purging of the remnant. They will be taken out as the dross is taken out of silver, as, as the dross is taken out of gold, as refined through the fire, as it's melted and the dross comes on. And if I, I've actually seen this. Sorry to harp on about my student days. I must be getting nostalgic. Uh, but I remember melting gold. And, and the lab technician would tell us, when you see that gold swirling, he says, the impurities are burning off. And the gold is purifying. And it is that point you cast it. When you're, whatever you're making eh, at the time. And, and, and so he says here there's going to be a time when they go through the fire. And that's a tribulation. They've gone through a lot of tribulation. But they'll go through <coughs> things that the world could never even imagine soon. When the tribulation starts. And, and, but a remnant will be saved. And the remnant will not be forgotten. God has a plan for Israel. And I think that's important to remember skillful workmen, it's repeated throughout the the passage and and the skill that's needed. And I thought of setting Timothy 2 and 15. It says there, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed. Now, what kind of worker are we? These guys did this remarkable work, and he fought and all the other furniture of the tabernacle and the breastplate, and they took it to, to Moses, and it says he examined it. And nobody was ashamed. Nobody was ashamed. You know, one day, we will be examined. And we'll look at verses about that soon. So, we need to be skillful workmen. The breastplate was square. Did you notice that? And every sort of word I'm starting to... As I'm reading this over and over, I'm thinking, this is some meaning here. Of course, the, the great city... Uh, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, it's four square. Same word. And what are the foundation stones of that? Well, they're the foundation of precious stones as well. And the names of them, the names of the tribe of Israel, are on these stones and the foundation that comes down from heaven. Israel's not forgotten. God is a memory. Even in the eternal state these precious stones will be there to remind us of that great covenant he has made with Israel. There's also the twelve apostles, if you, if you realise that. The names of them are on the, 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 the walls of that city. And the twelve apostles representing perhaps the church. So they see the church and Israel eventually together in this great eternal state. I'm going to move on quickly the robe verses 22 to 25 was of blue material. it speaks of something eternal and heavenly and this blue material that speaks of Christ it says this in Hebrews, just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek you know Christ is our priest forever. It wasn't just our priest to get us to heaven. He will be our priest forever. And this blue speaks of the eternal nature of the work of Christ. And then with these pomegranates and bells, didn't we? Well, you look at pomegranates throughout the scripture, it, it, it speaks of plenty. Remember, those were one of the, some of the things that they brought back, the spies brought back from the promised land to show the plenty of the land. You know what's interesting about a pomegranate? As distinct from other fruits. A pomegranate has lots of seeds and no flesh, whereas other fruits have much flesh that we eat. And we don't eat the seeds usually of the fruit, do we? But we eat the seeds of the pomegranate. No flesh. You can stop me if I'm going too far if you think here. There's no reliance on the flesh. But it's on the seed, the seed of the woman, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. The bells, the bells were there as the the priest walked about. And and I know, you know, to a certain extent, it was to let them know that the priest hadn't died for going into the holy place. I understand that as well. But the other thing I thought about here, the sound of the priest walking about would let the people know that the high priest was still working, even though he couldn't be seen. And our high priest today is still working, although we can't see him. He's still working for us. He's interceding in our behalf, the scripture says. Verses 27 to 31, I'm not going to look at them in any detail for the sake of time. Verses 32 to 34, it says there, all the things were finished. It's all completed in verse 32. And everyone had a role. There was teamwork. Everybody worked together. And and I would urge you as an assembly, you need to work together. First Corinthians twelve, everyone has a role, everyone has a gift. You need to work together. Can you imagine if they fell out over making the ephod? And you've got to hammer out this bit of gold and cut it into fine, thin threads, and they're arguing about how it should be done and what should be done. As best we can. As we work for the Lord, it's teamwork and we work together. We don't fall out. We have unity and that's a unity that we see in this section. And it worked. The people of Israel worked together. And it says there at the end, verse 42 to 43, Moses examined all the work. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 and 13 says this, but each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work, of what sort it is. Second Corinthians five, ten. You know these verses well. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And, and so we see here a picture of the examination day that's gonna come. The, the the command was given in Exodus twenty-eight for the ephod. Exodus 29 it's made, just as the Lord had commanded. And, and, and when we get to heaven, I wonder if our work will be just as the Lord commanded. Will we go by the Bible, we go by the scriptures and what we have done. It's repeated over and over again. I had down here eight times, but as I was reading, it, I think I've counted more. See how important it is to go by the word of God, obedience is the Christian life. That sums up the Christian life. Obedience will be. He is our master. He is our Lord. God has a clear plan for the tabernacle. It was followed. It was detailed. It is important that we follow God's instructions and that everyone is involved in that. Now that's a, a lesson for us all. That each person is pulling his weight in the assembly. Hebrews eight and five says this, who serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things, just as Moses was born by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. God expects us to go by his word. When Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, it says in Exodus 9 11, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. There's a tabernacle in heaven and Christ has entered there and, and it's a picture, this tabernacle is a picture of the good things that await the Christian, when we get to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Another tabernacle, eternal in the heavens. And, and when we get there, we better read up in the tabernacle before we get there because it's going to be familiar. When we get there, things are going to be familiar, but just far more beautiful and far more wonderful. I've got other things written down here, but I think I'm going to give you a summary of my gospel message for the family service. Okay. And it relates, and this will summarize the bits about the tabernacle. When you came to the tabernacle, there was a gate. And Jesus says, I am the door. To get in to the the, the things of God, to get away from the outside, you had to come through the door. And it was the blue, the purple, and the red, of course. Then there was a copper altar. And on that, there was blood sacrifices. A picture of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And you've got to go by the cross. And you can write others down and make out your own things and get New Testament verses for all of this. Then there was a laver. You've got to be washed. And the priests, it says in Exodus 36, I think it says, the priests had to take one bath to be ordained as priests. A complete washing, one bath. Now, you're already thinking of John in the upper room ministry, aren't you? I hope you are. It says, those who've had a bath, don't need to be washed again, Jesus said. You just need your feet washed. And every time the priest came in, he'd wash his feet. It's an exact parallel. I got excited seen a great deal of excitement yet, but maybe more as I come along. So that was the lever, the washing, the once for all washing and the continual washing of the feet. Then there was a the door into fellowship with God. That's when you come into the holy place. And what's there? You've got the showbread and the lamps, and That's fellowship with God. That's breaking of bread. That's enjoying all the, the, the scriptures, the light of scriptures. Jesus says, I am the light of the Lord, I am the bread. All these things are coming together and we have this fellowship with God. And then there's this veil. And I, I, I see that as, as, as we leave this earthly scene. And where do we go? We go into the holiest of holies, the eternal place. And what's it full of? What do you, go in, what do you see when you go in there? Gold. And what is heaven? What, when you get to heaven, what are you going to see? The, the, the apostle John says it's all gold. Eternal and divine. This wonderful place. And so we see in the tabernacle, if you can't use that for a gospel message, then I don't know what you can. It's an exact description of where we go in our Christian pathway until we get to heaven. And that veil was rent. And Jesus Christ has allowed us to go to heaven. So let's thank him now in prayer for what he has done. Our God and Father, we thank you for the wonderful pictures you have given. Sometimes we don't take time to read them. And sometimes we get a bit confused with it all. But one day we'll understand. And we pray that you'd help our feeble minds just to understand a little bit more about the wonderful person of Jesus Christ. His heavenly nature, his regal nature, and the wonderful sacrifice he made for us. That red blood that was shed on Calvary. And we thank you that the gold was intertwined in that ephod, showing that here we have God and man. The divine and humanity met together, inseparable for eternity. And we thank you for the person of Jesus Christ who has given us the way back to God, into the holiest of holies. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gave his life. And may we live for him. We think of this section where all the people worked together and they were given the skill, the the ability to do things. And we've all been given gifts and abilities and we pray that we'd use them for your work. And may we do it as skillful workmen, not with any shortcuts, but doing the best we possibly can. Forgive us when we let you down and help us this week to live for you uh, and give it all to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has made all these things possible. And it is even through his name that we pray now. Amen.